0: Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Well, good morning, Lord. I am grateful that as our Heavenly Father, you've provided for us, and you've, you've given us the Scriptures, Lord, and you've taught us about prayer. And so I ask that you would take us deeper this Lent, and I pray as the preacher this morning that you would help me to be useful to your church. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. For someone who's a beginner, prayer can feel both instinctual and unnatural. It can feel unnatural because to speak words out into the room um, to God who you can't see but you suspect is there, it just feels weird at first. If you've been in a Bible study where other people are doing it but you've never said a prayer out loud, it feels very awkward and unnatural because you've never done it before. On the other hand though, prayer is very instinctual. People were made for a relationship with the living God. The studies, the most recent one I've seen of American spirituality said 78% of Americans claim to pray at least once a week. Now how they pray and to whom and what that looks like, that's not necessarily part of that study, but we were made to have a relationship with God and so the prayers might sound like, God, is that you? Are you here? God, if there is a God, can you hear me? those are prayers. And they're not developed yet, but those are prayers. And people were made for a relationship with God. And so it's instinctual and unnatural. I I think of the beloved story of the young boy Samuel, who would later become a powerful prophet of God in 1 Samuel 3, being in the temple with the priest Eli at night. And God calls him Samuel. And he keeps going to Eli thinking that the priest, the older priest has called him, but it actually is the Lord calling him. And the third time Eli figures this out and says, just say, speak Lord for your servant is listening. That was the day that Samuel's prayer life began, that he learned how to talk to God and hear from God and God had something to say to him. And so we, we love that story because we understand it. We understand that the, the heavens declare God's glory, that this is a God saturated universe, but we don't know how to have that conversational relationship with him at least not at first. Now, the disciples that were following Jesus for three years were church kids, so to speak. They were in synagogue, most of them. They, they had prayed corporately with the, the faithful Jewish people of their day, and yet when they saw Jesus pray in Luke chapter 11, it says that they came up to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just like John the Baptist taught his followers to pray. They recognized something different in the qualitative maybe even quantitative relationship that Jesus had with his heavenly father. So they said, teach us to pray. And the answer, the response he gave was to give the Lord's prayer. It's in the Bible in two places. It's in Luke chapter 11, and it's in the sermon on the Mount that we heard, read earlier, which is Matthew five, six, and seven. It's right in Matthew six in the middle there. And so this Lent, we're going to take the Lord's prayer, which is very concise. It's short, but it's really rich. It's deep. In fact, I said to our, my prayer intercessors for this Sunday, it feels like the ocean. You can splash around and float on the surface, but not realize there's 3,000 feet of water below you until you start exploring. And then you realize, oh my goodness, there's so much down here. The Lord's Prayer is kind of like that. So we're gonna take the weeks, uh, the, these next few weeks of Lent, and we're gonna look at the Lord's Prayer each week or some aspect of it. And I, I wanna ask you this question. Are you open to growing in prayer this Lent? Many of us are kind of at a plateau. I mean, if we've walked with the Lord a long time, been in church a long time, we kind of have our rhythm, what do we do as a quiet time, how we pray, what we expect. I'm wondering, are you willing to go for a little more, to grow in prayer, to ask the Lord to take you to another level, to go a little deeper in the ocean, if you will, and see what the Lord has for you. Now, today I'm gonna just take the first two words, literally, our Father. Actually, in the Greek, it's reversed. It's Father our. Father of us. Literally, the most important word is put first. So, father and our are the two words I'm going to take. And I'm looking at Matthew 6, um, but it's the same in, in the Luke 11 passage. And I think it's interesting to begin that the address that Jesus gives us is one of multiple images for God in the Bible. He picked the one of father. He picked the one that's relational, the one of a family connection of belonging to a family system. Think of some of the other images, metaphors for God in the scriptures. He is a judge, he's a king, he's a shepherd, he's the creator, he's the owner of everything, he's the vine dresser. You could go on and on and on, there's a whole list of them. I mean, could you imagine if he'd picked the judge, which God is definitely the judge. If he'd picked judge as the image that he wanted us to address him in prayer, it might sound like this. Your honor who art in the heavenly court, may I approach the bench. That feels cold and distant, and you know I'm grateful he didn't pick that, although it would be appropriate to refer to God as our judge. And you can pray to God in any of these images, but Jesus said primarily, approach him as your heavenly father. The father is the best of the images to use to address him in prayer. Now, what I'd like to do is just, I'm going to exercise self-control here because we're in Lent and we're fasting and we're holding back. I'm only going to point out four things about these two words. But as I said, the ocean is deep, and I hope you'll find others as you think about it. But I wanna begin um, by looking at the idea of adoption, that by calling God our Heavenly Father, it implies something. And you might say, well, it makes sense for Jesus, the eternal Son of God, to refer to God as Father because He's the eternal Son. But you and I are mere creatures. What right do we have to call God our Father? It makes sense for Jesus to call him Father, but does it make sense for us to? It doesn't until Christ comes. And in John chapter 1, it says that Christ came to his own people, but his own people rejected him. They did not receive him, but it says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Not born of the flesh, but born of God. Jesus came. And if you believe in him, in his name and meaning all that he's about, if you believe in Jesus, you are granted a new birth and adoption into a new family, an eternal spiritual family, and you now are a son or daughter of the God of the universe. And so adoption should be one of, if not the first thing that comes to mind, if you pause when you pray, our father, is he my father? What makes me think that? A person who does not have Jesus as the the way to the Father has no right to claim that God is their Father. You are a mere creature unless by Christ you become adopted as a child of God. And that's offensive to hear that, but that's what the scripture shows very clearly. Those that believe in his name are given the right to become children of God. Not mere creatures anymore, but children. So this address reminds us that we are adopted through Jesus. Isn't it interesting that in asking to be taught to pray, Jesus gave a prayer that doesn't even mention Jesus? His name's not in it at all. And yet, when we hear Father and we understand that idea of adoption, we recognize that here is where Jesus is the the one that, that makes this possible for us. When we say our Father, we should think, through the cross, I've been adopted into this great family. Jesus has done this for me. In that regard, I'm praying in the name of Jesus, even though his name is not in the Lord's prayer, because I've been adopted because of what he has done for me. In fact, in Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatians, Galatians, um, he writes that this is the reason that God the Father sent his son. He says, when the fullness of time had come, this is Galatians 4.4, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. You've been adopted by a father who's also the king of the universe, which means you're a co-heir in all that he has alongside his son, Jesus. So the first thing about praying the Lord's Prayer is a reminder of adoption, that we've been adopted as his children. Next, what does a father do categorically? And think of an earthly father, think of your own father. What are some of the things that a father uh, does? Provide, protect, uh, care for, instruct, train, bring up, these kind of things. I mean, think about some of the things in your own situation. As I, as I enjoy, I, by the way, I love living in Florida, especially this time of year when I'm watching these snowstorms wipe out the north, and I think, man, it's a little chilly for my tennis match today, you know? <laughs> it's dipping down into the low 70s. But I was thinking about my dad one day teaching me about driving in the north. I grew up in Pennsylvania, and he picked me up at my job. I was working in a movie theater, and the theater had closed down early because a heavy snow was falling. I mean, it was coming down bad. It was awesome, actually. It was a whiteout. The the parking lot was covered in snow. There was ice. Nobody was on the roads. Obviously, no one was going to the movie theater. So he picked me up, and I had my learner's permit, and he had me get into the uh, station wagon that he drove. It was a gray uh, Oldsmobile Cutlass station wagon, one of those ones that has the emergency brake that's a pedal that kind of clicks down, and there's a lever you can pull to pop the pedal. And he said, all right, I want you to, to drive right there and then jam that pedal on and turn and it locks up the back wheels without engaging the anti-lock brakes. And so he wanted it to, to fishtail. He wanted me to feel what this car was like out of control. And then he had me doing donuts and I mean, It was, it was awesome. <laughs> but he was doing it as a protector and a provider, and he was training me in a safe way to know how to drive on dangerous roads. Now, that's the kind of thing that when we think of what does a father do. Those are the kind of things that should come to mind. Now, I will say, not all of us had fathers that did those things, that that were good. They might have failed us in many ways. But what's interesting is even the worst kind of a father has a sense that they should care for their child. Jesus says this at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7, a chapter later. He says, if you, though you are evil, know how to give good things to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? years ago um, i went to a conference at willow creek church in chicago when bill hybels was at the top of his game and he had developed this huge mega church and he said to us he said he was talking about children's ministry and he said i don't care how far from god a parent is how wicked that person is if their child has a good time at something they will want to bring them back to it so the dad might come and stand in the parking lot at church but if the kid comes out of sunday school and says that was awesome i want to come back Those parents bring their kid back. He says, if I had realized this years ago, I would have tripled the size of our children and youth ministry budget. Thankfully, I heard that when I was like 20 something. And so on our staff, we have multiple children and youth staff and a youth building out there. Jack, Jordan, Jennifer, Kathy, Barbara, and then a whole bunch of part-time paid people. Why? Because if your kids experience God and feel the love of the gospel and, and like church, you'll sit through this service and hear me preach at you. <laughs> and God willing, both will come to faith in Jesus, right? So we're a church that cares about the next generation because we recognize that even earthly fathers and mothers want good things for their kids. And the point Jesus is making is your heavenly father who is perfect does that perfectly, So not only are you adopted, but the second thing is that it reminds us of God's care. When we pray, our Father, we think of fatherly care, of protection, of provision. But I want to point out, though, that good fathering, good parenting includes discipline, which is not fun. Consider this passage from Hebrews, Hebrews 12. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. But besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. So you say, okay... He gives good things to those who ask him. I've asked him for good stuff, and I didn't get it. Well, you have to recognize his vantage point is from eternity. What you asked for might actually not have been good for you in the long haul. But if it is, he'll provide it. He'll give it. He doesn't hold things back because he doesn't want you to have good things. He holds things back because he wants you to have truly good things. And he's preparing you for something way bigger than you can see right now. It's also helpful to point out that we don't want to treat God as like some heavenly vending machine that just gives us whatever we want. There's an order to this sermon or to this Lord's prayer. After the address, our Father in heaven, then there are three requests and then three more requests. And the first three are about Him. It's not about us. It's the request that your name, God, would be holy, that your kingdom would come here, and that your will would be accomplished. That's what Jesus taught us to pray for. And then we ask for our daily bread for us. And then we ask that he would forgive us. And then we ask that he would lead us in such a way that we not fall into temptation and evil. It's not, it doesn't start with us. It starts with him. But not only are we reminded when we pray our father that we've been adopted as children, we also have a good father who cares for us. Now, the third thing is the word our, our father. It's plural, meaning we have siblings, our Father, not my Father. It's not Jesus and me are the only two sons of the, God, of the God of the universe. No, we have brothers and sisters. And Jesus teaches us to pray corporately. What is so fascinating, and I had to dig out different Greek manuscripts on this this week. I had to go deep into the ocean this week. The, the pronouns change from one manuscript to the next in this chapter six of the Sermon on the Mount. When he says you, in English, it just says you. We don't know if it's singular or plural. And he says, when you pray, close your door and pray to your father who sees in secret. Those ones are singular, when you pray. But then part of this chapter as well says, when y'all pray, or as Pittsburgh would say, when yins pray, plural, you guys. And, and it's interesting that even if I go into my secret prayer chamber and I pray to God who sees in secret, the prayer that I can use says, our father. We are always praying as part of a community and with a community, And Jesus wants us to care for our siblings. You go back to the Old Testament, you see the story of Cain and Abel, the first ugly sibling rivalry that ended in Cain killing his brother Abel out of of jealousy. And God says, where's your brother? And Cain says, what am I, my brother's keeper? And the implied answer in the rest of the dialogue is, yes, you are. You are responsible for one another. In fact, our liturgy picks this up when we baptize people and we say, will you do all in your power to help these persons in their life in Christ? And we say we will with God's help. We recognize that there is a horizontal component to the gospel. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. We pray as part of a community. So I think about, you know, um, even as a father, an earthly father, I have two daughters. My wife and I have been praying that they would be best friends for as long as they've been alive. And by God's grace, they are friends, and I'm thankful for that. But I want my kids to have a relationship. I want them to be in harmony. I think it's Psalm 133 says, how blessed and good it is when brothers dwell together in unity. This is what our, our Lord is teaching us about prayer. We are praying as part of a community. Our means we have siblings in the faith. Peter comes at one point to Jesus and says, Lord, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? As many as seven times? You know what his answer was? Not seven times, 70 times seven times. That's how much he cares about that relationship. All right, so we're adopted. We, are, uh, we have a good father who provides for us, and we have accountability for siblings, and we're praying in community. And then the fourth thing that I'm going to say this morning is that we are addressing God as father, and it has an intimacy to it. You know, the Jews were offended that Jesus was referring to God as his Father. It says that in John 5, 18, in part because it made himself equal with God. I'm not saying that praying our Father makes us equal with God, but it does imply a belonging in a heavenly family and a kind of intimacy that they were uncomfortable with in those days. So in Galatians 4 that I read, the Spirit who comes into the heart of a believer teaches us to treat him as Abba, like daddy, Abba. Even today, if you go to Israel, the children are running around crying, Abba, Abba, Abba. They're calling for their father, their dad. It's intimate, it's personal, it's a familial term. Abba is what a baby can say because they can't articulate all the sounds of speech yet. Abba, dada, mama. Those kind of words are what babies say to their, their parents as they're learning to speak. The Holy Spirit in your heart, if you're a believer, tells you that that's the level of intimacy you have. That's what it means to have God as Father. So when you believe the Spirit is saying, you belong. We're we're gonna sing an offertory song this morning that I asked Rob to learn. Uh, To his credit, I asked him to learn it at 3.30 on Friday afternoon when it popped into my head. Um, And he did it, thank you, Rob. Um, But many of you might know it, it's called He Knows My Name by Tommy Walker. It's literally off the WOW Worship CD from 22 years ago. But it's powerful because it says I have a Father he calls me his own. I have a maker. He, he know, it's about God's intimate knowledge of me and you, his children. So we pray to a father who loves us intimately. That's the fourth thing when we come into this Lord's Prayer. So we've been adopted in Jesus, and it's in Jesus, I want to be clear. That's, you know, our liturgy says, and now as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to pray We are bold because we don't understand how deep the ocean is here. We are bold because we do not deserve this. We recognize it is only on Jesus' merit that we can presume even to talk to God. And yet, we're treated as children. We are adopted as children. We actually are children of God. And so we're bold to approach. So, you know, we've been adopted in Jesus. He provides good care for us, this, this God. We pray in community, and we pray to a father in who intimately loves us. I think it was interesting what Lenny said to us, uh, our church planner, when he preached a number of months ago. He he made the statement that when you pray the Lord's Prayer, you should stop after our Father and just think about what you've just said. Reflect on it. Our team put together prayer cards. They're in the information table. I hope you'll grab one today. It will take you through each of the phrases of the Lord's Prayer this Lent. And there's some guiding questions on the back that will help you pause and reflect. Do I, do I trust in God's fatherly care? When I ask him for something, do I trust that he has my good interests in mind from his perspective, that he hears me even, that he's good? It will help us pray through this together as a church, praying our Father. And in conclusion, I want to I go to the Romans passage I had read, but we stopped short of where I wanna, what I want to conclude with. In chapter 8 of of Romans, the Apostle Paul talks about life in the Spirit, and when you become a Christian, what to expect. And at the last uh, two verses of this chapter, he says this, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I'm grateful that you are such a loving Heavenly Father, as well as judge and creator and our maker. I thank you for adopting us. Lord, if there's anyone in here who has not received Jesus, who is still merely a creature, Lord, would you call them to be a child, a son or daughter? Give them the courage and faith to trust you. And Lord, I pray this Lent that you would take us deeper, that you would help us pray better. Lord, we need your help. We are sorely hindered. Even as we do our Lenten disciplines, we're aware of it. and So help us, Lord, and may it be to your glory. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.